Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we first started the Shabbos Learning Project uh, where I told a story about a pasta that was delivered to my door that I erroneously brought inside and spilled it on the, uh, on the kitchen floor? And that prompted the question of what can be done with these pasta boxes that were piled up and spilled um, throughout the kitchen. So this is the class we're going to answer that question, and we're going to discuss the category of muksa known as inherent muksa. In Hebrew, muksa machmas gufa. I'll give you another personal scenario in which this category comes up. I mean, there are many, but uh, another instance that you might not have thought of is um, we have a Baruch Hashem, thank God, a beautiful dining room set. Um, however, our dining room chairs are wooden and a little top-heavy. And every couple of weeks, <laughs> especially in the times we had guests, it was uh, not uncommon to hear a crash and a splinter where the chair would fall over almost at random as somebody got up from their seat and the chair fell over and cracked, um, often into a couple of pieces. So if you were at our house and this happened to you, you now know it happens to everybody. Um, so don't feel bad. Um, but the question is what to do with those broken pieces uh, when they're on, you know, in the middle of the floor, unpleasant, take up some space. Is that allowed to be moved or not? What's the status? So that also is in this category, uh, within the category that we're going to discuss today of inherent muksa, muksa machmas gufa. Inherent muksa are items that a person has no use for on Shabbos. They're not prepared for Shabbos use. A primary example of this is a rock. A rock is a functionless object uh, at the onset of Shabbos, and therefore it's inherently muksa. It's not even like a hammer, which we've discussed in the past, <clears throat> which is a vessel that can have primarily impermissible, but also permissible uses. This is not a vessel. These items are not vessels or utensils at all. Therefore, they are completely muksa and can't be moved for any reason. So we look at these items as totally unusable on Shabbos. However, there is a way to designate these unusable items as usable. It's not a common occurrence, but, you know, let's say you're back in the era of the pet rock and you want to make sure that your pet rock is usable so you can take it for a walk on Shabbos. So the rocks are, by definition, muksa machmas gufan, they're inherently muksa. How do I designate this pet rock to be a pet? The answer is that there are two methods of designation. There's mental designation and physical designation. For items that one wishes to permanently designate, as non-muksa, as a usable item, then mental designation suffices. So purchasing a rock and treating it as a pet rock uh, would suffice to turn that rock into a non-muksa object. That mental preparation is enough. Physical preparation, physical designation is necessary when you want to use an item as a one-time thing. Like, let's say you have a door that... Uh, swings closed and you want to keep it open and um, it's only recently started doing that you're planning on repairing the door it's just this Shabbos 
that you want to make sure to keep the door open and you don't have anything else handy. And you want to use a rock to keep it open on Shabbos. So um, if you designate that rock physically, that means you pick it up and make a change to it, chip off a little piece, do something physical to show that you're using it now, then that rock can be used um, for that one Shabbos. So those are two different types of designation, mental and, and physical. But let's get into the general category and examples of muksa machmas gufa, of inherent muksa. So uh, money or coins are an example of this. Uh, similarly, uh, sand on the beach. If you're on vacation and you're walking along the beach on Shabbos, you can't play with or pick up the sand. You can walk along and the sand will move under your feet, but you can't pick it up or move it intentionally. Um, a sand lot, speaking of sand, where uh, kids play, um, would be a non-muksa item because that's pre-designated. That's sand which is meant to be played with. Uh, as an aside, I'll note that if sand is very wet and moist and it could be used to dig in or if it's really good sand that will that'd be a lot of fun and, and it's moist and you can make castles or whatever out of it, then there could be a different issue of the prohibition of uh, building or digging in that sand on Shabbos. So sand in general is muksa, but a sand lot would be non-muksa. Uh, if you're walking along and you have a, in, in a path in the woods and there are branches in your way, so you can't move those branches aside with your hand because those are also inherent muksa. You can walk through and let the branches be moved in the course of your walking. Another example of inherent muksa are broken items. Back to the chair, as I mentioned earlier. If a piece of furniture falls over and breaks, or someone puts it out on the curb, and uh, these are items that you're not planning to and are basically unfixable, then those are completely muksa. However, if it's a piece of a, uh, of a chair or furniture or anything else that is fixable, and you're planning on fixing it, then it's not muksa. This is because as long as the piece is still going to be fixed and it's fixable, we view that piece as still part of the item that it broke off of, and, if, and as much as a chair is not muksa, the piece of the chair that's going to be reunited with the chair is also not muksa. Another example of this is like a shirt button. If you have a shirt button uh, that pops off on Shabbos, that button is actually not muksa. We still view it as the same status as the shirt because you can re-sew it after Shabbos. So it, it becomes interest, an interesting phenomenon that if you have a new shirt button that sometimes comes along in the packaging, a new shirt button that was never on, uh, never attached to a shirt, that is muksa. Um, but if it's a shirt button that popped off the shirt, it retains the status of the shirt, and that is not muksa. Note that in all these cases of items that broke or fell over, that dangerous items are allowed to be moved on Shabbos, dangerous muksa items, but preferably it should be done indirectly, like by sweeping into a dustpan. So those are some examples of muksa machmas gufan, of inherent muksa. Some more examples. The following are a couple of examples of inherent muksa that are deemed such because there's no real permissible way to use them on Shabbos. For example, a roll of paper towels or a um, roll of aluminum foil which we often forget on our counters. 
before Shabbos, moving them is an issue because there's no permissible way to use those items on Shabbos because you can't tear them off. Um, another example of this is chametz on Pesach. Chametz on Pesach, if one comes across it on, uh, on Shabbos, um, one is not allowed to remove it, even though we're not supposed to have it around us on Pesach. You can't move it because it's an impermissible item, and it's muksa. And that's why the halacha states that you have to just cover it with a box or something like that. Um, an example that you might think is muksa but actually isn't is something that happens every so often, where you go out and buy flowers before Shabbos, or you have a gracious guest who drops off flowers before Shabbos, and the house is flying, and you don't have a chance to actually put the flowers into a vase of water, or a vase of water, depending on what you have. So if you have the flowers lying on your counter, you might think that they are inherent muksa, like sticks or stones, but they're actually not. The reason is because they are designated for decoration. They're decorative. And so even though you can't put them into a, into a vase or a vase with water, you can put it into a vase without water or put it um, on your counter or someplace where it may enhance uh, the aesthetics because it's designated for decoration. Okay, now let's get into a very common, a very common subsection of this inherent muksa, and that is food items. Um, this is very common to... You know, go into your freezer, you want to take out an ice pop on Shabbos afternoon, probably not this Shabbos, um, and there's something else in the way. There's uh, some raw meat or fish, um, or you want to go and get some uh, fruit, and there's like raw potatoes also mixed in into the fruit basket. So what's the status of these items? So it's interesting. Let's start with raw meat and fish. In the times of the Gemara, raw meat was actually not considered to be muksa. And the reason is because it wasn't uncommon for people to snack on raw meat or to eat it in a, in a pinch. The question, the question is, what about nowadays, when nobody eats raw meat? Does the status change? Or can we rely on the original designation in the Gemara and the distant possibility that somebody may choose to eat raw meat? Another consideration for leniency is pets. Uh, we, pets are around and available. Even if you don't have a pet, somebody else might. And um, we can feed raw meat to pets. Nowadays, with the prevalence of uh, dogs and other pets, it's not uncommon for people to feed even good meat fit for human consumption to, to dogs. So because of these considerations, the can say that ordinarily we should consider raw meat to be muksa. So try to get around it. But in cases of need, where a person uh, needs to get to a food item that he needs, then he can move the raw meat and rely upon the lenient approaches, approaches that we mentioned above, namely that in the days of the Gemara, it wasn't uncommon to snack on raw meat, and that is still a possibility in cases of great need, and the prevalence of pets. If there's a power outage, which never happens in 30329, so, in theory, one would be allowed to move his meats in order to save himself a substantial loss, relying on the opinions that meat is not considered to be muksa. But in practice, very often, it's best to just keep the freezer closed until the power goes back on. Um, I remember a few years ago, during the, uh, um, the storms that we experienced after Hurricane Irma, uh, we had some Floridians in our house, like everyone else did, um, and we lost power then 
for nearly three full days. And I remember distinctly that we were trying to decide what to do with the meats, if to take them out or to try to find some place to store them. Uh, but everybody lost power. So we left them in the freezer, kept the freezer closed. And I remember that nearly three days later, the meats were still quite frozen. So uh, that depends on your experience, but we found that to be the best way to go about it. But uh, logically, if it's a case of need, you can move raw meat. Um, what about fish? So the post got more stringent with raw fish because even in the days of the Talmud, nobody ate raw fish. And it's something not commonly fed to, uh, to pets. However, the question is, what about sushi? This very popular food item has uh, given raw fish a new status. And perhaps that would change the muksa status of raw fish. Although one can reason that that would only apply to fish commonly used for sushi, like salmon or tuna or snapper. So that's an interesting question. If nowadays, since uh, sushi is so popular, uh, maybe fish is not muksa either. So that's meats and fish. Raw eggs are actually not muksa because people still swallow them for health benefits despite their health risks. Or singers, I think, still nowadays uh, would swallow raw eggs. That's what the postkin cite. So raw eggs are actually not muksa. Cooked or frozen dishes in the freezer are also not muksa, even if there's no way to eat them on Shabbos. You don't have time to thaw them and you can't really heat them up. They're also not muksa. But items like uncooked potatoes and rice, or unripe fruit, that, fruit that's not yet edible, or pasta, like uh, our original story, those are all muksa machmas gufan, those are inherent muksa items, and they cannot be moved on Shabbos in the normal way. Another example of this are nutshells, peels of eggs, pits of fruit once they no longer have any fruit on them. Those all become muksa. They're unusable. They're like rocks, sticks, and stones. So what should you do with shells once they've been uh, taken off of nuts or pits once you've eaten the fruit completely? So the best option is to place the shells or the egg peels uh, or the pits onto a plate that also has a drop of edible food on it. Then, because it has edible food on it, that plate is still movable, and you can then dispose of everything or the plate itself if it's a disposable plate. Another option is a special dispensation to clear your table in honor of Shabbos. You can take a knife or a similar object and brush the unwanted shells or peels onto a plate or a dustpan that similarly has some edible food on it. Then you can empty the whole thing into the garbage. So I mentioned this now. It really touches on the topic of permissible ways in which to move muksa. But since I mentioned that nuts and eggs, etc. are muksa, I felt I needed to mention how one is allowed to dispose of them on Shabbos. But we will give this more full treatment, the general category of what are the permissible ways in which we can move muksa items. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. So that's it for today's class. We covered a lot, with a lot of examples. Hope it was clear. Please feel free to give me feedback. Just for a quick uh, overview, we talked about the category of inherent muksa items, um, we mentioned the idea of designation. If you want to designate a muksa item to be non-muksa, we talk about two types of designation. We give a bunch of examples of muksa items like sand and money and branches. We talked about broken items um, that, uh, that become inherent muksa if they're unfixable. And then we talked about various types of foods 
and what their status might be. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for listening.